applaud. Yeah, you guys haven't heard the message. Uh, yeah, I would, I'd wait. Um, by the way, when you hear principles to live by, that is founded by Gil Stiglitz, son of Norm Stiglitz. How many of you know Norm? All right, yeah, that's who I am. I work with Gil. So anyway, uh, glad to have you. We're going to do this service as quickly as possible because they serve half donuts as soon as the service is over. I, I discovered that in the first two services, so I'm going to be a little bit quicker on this one, if that's okay. Um, I'm hungry now at this point. I could use bacon, actually. But anyway, so uh, I hear you guys are doing a series called Stressed Out. I'm going to do my best not to do that to you this morning, all right? Uh, I got to, uh, it's kind of interesting. You guys are doing a series called Stressed Out, and David's on vacation. What do you think that means? I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, I, yeah, I talked to him on Sunday, I mean Monday. He seemed like he was very happy. Everything is good, not, not to worry, right? But he said, you guys have talked about this in a lot of different ways, different, different areas that he's talked about, how we can manage stress better or how we can look at things differently. And so he says, Michael, you can talk about whatever you want. And so we're going to talk about fishing, and uh, hopefully uh, some of that will appeal to some of you. But anyway, no, he said, uh, one of the topics I didn't get to that I'd like to get to is change. Like sometimes, you know, change for people can really cause a lot of stress. And, uh, you know, and so we're going to talk about that. But instead of uh, what I do want to do is this, though. I want to change that just a little bit. Because as I've studied change in the Bible... You can look at the top of your outline. Change equals transformation. You've got to understand one of God's major purposes in our life is that we would be transformed into the image of Christ so that when people look at you, you reflect God to everybody. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your neighbors, coworkers, whoever. So that transformation process is really, really critical. So change equals transformation. And that transformation equals seasons because God used, God's a good gardener. You heard that term in the Bible? It says God's a good gardener. He uses seasons to cause that transformation. And when we go through those seasons, it means growth. We grow in those seasons. But those seasons are not always very popular. That change is not always very popular. I moved to Southern California, to Northern California in 2004. And we stopped in Kingsburg along the way because my buddy, very, very close friend, finally, I mean, he's in his mid, his, uh, he was 52 when he finally got his grandfather's 20-acre grape vineyard. Really cool. So we get there late spring, early summer, and we look at this beautiful little farmhouse where he, we had pictures of him one year old in that farmhouse sink in the kitchen. One year old taking a bath. It was so cool. But we look out there at the vineyard and there's, the leaves are perfectly green and everything is awesome. And there's grapes everywhere and the grapes are tiny, but there's a lot of them. Well, uh, as the months go by, uh, you know, we're new to, new to this. The, the vineyard hadn't been taken care of in quite a while. We try to eat those grapes. And you know what they taste like? Yuck. They taste yucky. You know why? What? Nobody took care of them. They hadn't been pruned. Interesting. So we spent the next few weeks, the next year, we spent the next few weeks pruning all of those grapes, those grapevines. And it was really, really interesting. And I I have never been a uh, grapevine psychic, nor have I ever talked to one. But I'm sure the grapevines weren't sitting there going, oh, no, 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 stop it. You're hurting us. I'm sure they were, as we were pruning them, going, thank you so much because we could not bear this. This is too much. I can't keep track of all this stuff. And those, man, those prunes were being, as those vines were being pruned, 
Man, I'm telling you, that season, we got some really good, delicious grapes. It was fantastic. And that was, but the problem was later on in the summer, when we go back, we're driving back up from Southern California to Kingsburg, and we see the vineyard, and we look at the leaves, and what do we see? Bugs. No bugs. No, sorry. Bean. No, no, just kidding. No, it should be. It could be bugs. But we saw the leaves, those big, huge, they were starting to turn brown, right? The edges were all brown, and some of them were completely brown, because what happens is those big old leaves, they cover all those grapes, and they make the shade. And then the shade of those big old leaves makes those grapes really sweet and delicious. It's amazing. God is an amazing gardener. John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, We are to bear much fruit, giving the Father glory for it all. He is a phenomenal gardener. So when you and I go through seasons, it's not because God wants to drag us through the mud. It's because God is a good gardener, and he knows what to do. And that pruning may be uncomfortable at times, but God's going, I got this. Amen? Amen. Change. Listen, the bottom line for today is just know this. No matter what season you're in, God is always, he uses every day, every experience, every week of your life to help you get through a season so that you can be more fruitful the next season. What does more fruitful mean? Well, you know what? I've been reading the Bible for a long time. And you know what? The more I read the Bible, the less I need it because it's real simple. Love God, love others. That's it. It's that simple. And the whole Bible is explaining to us what it means. The whole, all of scripture is just going, love God, love others. Here's one illustration after another, after another, after another, after another. And I'm still learning. And even when I was preparing for this, I was looking at so many Verses that cross and just like, they, it's amazing. God, so when, it, when, it, so when, it, when I say that God wants you to bear fruit, that means he wants you to love your wife more deeply than you did last year. He wants you to love your husband more deeply, your kids more deeply, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family. Those people that are like heavenly sandpaper, he wants you to love them too. There was a family. Change is good. Change is good. I'll confess, I was, I've been a pastor at large churches for a long time, and there was a couple years not too long ago when I was on Xanax because I was so anxious and so stressed out, so worried. I just, I just, I could, I never, I never experienced anything like that. And by God's grace, you know, I, a few years ago, I said, you know what, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to stop striving. I'm not going to quit ministry. I'm going to quit striving. Striving, 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 working, trying to get this done, trying to get that, trying to get all these people here and all these people there, do this event, do all this. It's like whatever. We all do it. We all just strive, 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 strive. And God said, man, I, I actually read the Bible and this time I did it. And I said, I'm not going to strive. God's got this. What do I have to worry about? Nothing. Every step is ordained. Every step, God says, Michael, if you just follow me, Every step that you make is ordained. A guy said uh, after the first service, he says, oh, let, me get, let me get straight. You said that, that you don't want us to change. God says, he, he asked me, you said God doesn't want us to change. I said, no, he doesn't. He created you in his image. Yeah. He doesn't want you to change. He wants to transform who he created in you that you would reflect God's glory. But he doesn't want you to change. You know what I'm saying? It's just semantics, just the English language. He wants to make the best possible version of you that there is. That's a transformation. It's not change. It needs you to be somebody else. 
And he goes, and you said, you don't have to strive. I said, you're right. I don't, I don't have to strive. Striving is when I'm trying to get things done. And I'm trying to lead Jesus. Well, it's a lot easier to follow him than it is to lead him. All right? Sometimes we're, 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 chain, we're, doing, we're trying to follow, you know, lead Jesus around. And it's a lot easier just to follow him. He already knows what he's going. He's know what he's doing. He's know how to do it. It's so simple. So change is good. And if you don't believe me, you can ask this family from Tennessee. They lived down in the woods. You know, they didn't have much. There was a husband, wife, and a, mother, a son, and a daughter. And they won this all-expenses-paid all trip to New York. $1,000 shopping spree. So they land in New York, and they go to this thing called the mall, which they had never seen before, right? And so the, the, mother, the, the mother and the daughter walk into this mall. They're blown away, and they kind of go to the left to start shopping. And the father and the son go into the mall, and they look to the right. Well, they look at this wall over here, and this old lady walks up to this wall, and she pushes this button, and the wall opens up. And so she walks into the wall, and the wall closes up. And the son looks at dad and says, dad, what was that? What just happened? And the father said, I don't know, son, but go get your mother. Oh, sorry. There's one part I forgot. I did this. It's my third service. A young, beautiful woman walks out a few seconds later, right? After the old lady gets in. Never mind. Okay. Uh, donuts. Okay. I don't know how he does three services, but anyway. Old lady walks in, young lady walks out. Go get your mother. Get it? Okay. Yeah, I'll leave the jokes out of the next. Uh, okay. Let's pray. And then we're going to read. We're going to read three stories from Jesus. Then we're going to do a little ADD. And then we're going to go wind up in the New Testament. Is that cool? Let's do it. Yeah, Holy Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you that you did indeed. You spoke. And you created the heavens and the earth. And then you spoke and you created each of us in your very own image. You actually formed us. In your mind, you formed us even in our mother's womb before we were even born. You have a perfect plan and purpose for us. And Father, we know, we know that you know that in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart because you overcome the world. And you desire that we would bear much fruit, giving you glory for it all. You said, Father, that you sent Jesus that we would experience a fullness of life. And so may we just have a bit of understanding through this message, but mostly by your spirit. Would you speak and would you lead the spirit so that we might have understanding, that we might have courage and we might have faith and hope and the inspiration to follow you, not to lead you, and that we might be comfortable in any season that we're in because we know that you're using that season for our good and for your glory. So we give you this message and this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, it's in your outline. Um, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He's very excited. He kneels down in hum humility and says, good teacher, I've heard all about you. You're an amazing, exceptional teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. Don't eat a whole donut, half a donut. Overindulgence, right? Yeah. Don't commit adultery and, and, and uh, don't, don't cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. And the man says, 
I've obeyed all these commands since I was a kid. I've lived this way my whole life. What's really interesting is the very next line says that Jesus looked at the man and felt genuine love for him. In some translations, it said Jesus felt great compassion for the man. Why? Well, the truth is we really don't know exactly, but most scholars would surmise a couple of things. That this man has got it all together. He, Jesus sees the man and sees that he's, got, he's all put together. He's got a nice shirt and nice clothes. He's probably relatively wealthy. And the guy says, I've been following the law all my life. I've had good Jewish roots. I have good training in the law. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to end it. And so following the law was not going to lead you to heaven. Following the law made you a, a, law, you know, a law keeper. But Jesus says, no, I, I, the law is only intended that you would love God and love others. If you just do that, there's no need for the law. That's why we're not under the law. We're under grace. So Jesus looks at the man very compassionate. He feels sorry for him because the guy has been misled. He's living this life. He's been striving for all of these things. He's got all of his stuff. He's been striving to keep the law. We know that the law is a yoke that we don't need. We know that. And he looks at Jesus, the man compassionately and says, now, there's still one thing you got to do, though, bro. I'm sorry. I know this is going to hurt. But I need you to love people. I need you to learn to love people. I know you kept the law. I know you worked hard, and I know you strived, and you got all this. But I, now I need you to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. And that's going to be love. Then, then that's loving people. I need you to do that. And then you can come and follow me. And Jesus knew that was going to be tough. Jesus was asking for a change in four things with this guy. First, he was asking for a change in perspective. Change of perspective. In other words, having eternal life isn't just a matter of acquiring it. Like, how do I do that? How do I get eternal life? Oh, well, here's, here's the things you do. Check one, two, three. He's saying, no, man, it's not about, it's not about how you live. It's about... It's, it's about how you live. It's about loving God and loving. I need you to change your perspective on this whole eternal life thing. This, Jesus was inviting the man to a substantial change, which would lead to his transformation, which would lead him into a season where he would have been completely uncomfortable, where he would have really grown in that season. But Jesus knew this man wasn't ready for it. Jesus asked him to change his perspective. Secondly, Jesus asked him to change his priorities. His priorities. So again, you know, this guy is probably striving a lot for himself and for his own success, for his own position, for his own wealth. And now he's striving to keep the law. And Jesus says, man, I need you to change your priorities. I need you to love people instead of all that stuff. You are the church, folks. How we do church, it doesn't matter. It's who we do church with. It's not the law. It's not when the service ends or when it begins or all of that stuff. It's about really, ultimately, it's a push comes to shove. Everything that happens here should be inspiring you to love each other more deeply. And just for the record, I have ended on time at every service so far, okay? <laughs> just because I'm a law keeper, okay? <laughs> His, he, Jesus asked him to change his perspective, his priorities, and next, his motives. Like, why 
Do you, what is the motive for wanting eternal life? Because you could, yeah, I've got this, I've got that. Now I need eternal life too. No, what is, what is that? I actually, oh man. 2000, it was like uh, Easter 2000. And I came home on Easter that Sunday and I lived next door to a very, very, very Jewish couple. And I come home and I, there was a bombing in Israel and about 200 Jews were killed over Passover that day. So I go next door to Jerry and Julie's house. I knock on the door and I said, hey, Julie, I just wanted to say I'm sorry about what happened in Israel. I know your kids live there. Are, you guys, are your kids okay? She says, Michael, we're fine. I'm glad you're here. My, husband, my brother is here and he's a rabbi. I went, oh no, this is not going to be good. So she says, come on in. I want you to meet Cal, my brother. So I go and I sit down in the, in the living room and everybody's glued to the TV and Cal is there and he's very stern. And we just, it was just, it wasn't time to say anything. But sooner or later we started talking and he, and he just kind of mean spirited said, you know, I don't understand why you Christians run around trying to make everybody believe what you believe. I said, I have no interest in making people believe what I believe, but I will tell you this. I discovered how much God loves me and I'm excited to share with other people that God loves them too. And he said, quote, I'm not concerned with how much God loves me. I just do what he says. Do you hear that? And I'm thinking, I do what he says because I know he loves me. I do what he says because I love him. He said, I don't care how much God loves you. I just do what he says. That's the, that's the law. Do what God says. God says, if you'll let me transform you, I will teach you to love me and love others like genuinely, really, authentically, joyfully. So Jesus asked this man to change his perspective, his priorities, his motives, and his reputation. I've been a tournament bass fisherman. I grew up at nine years old fishing in Texas, and I uh, moved out to to Northern California. I'm in a big church, and we have this uh, this outdoor sports ministry. And we would would teach bass fishing classes in West Marine, Sportsman's Warehouse, Rockland stores, uh, all these different boat places. And we grew from about 175 people to 675 people, like in four years. It was amazing. We were reaching people left and right, and we were teaching them all to fish. And so uh, I told told one of my friends, hey, maybe we should test ourselves and go fishing. So we go on the tournament trail. We, do, we just kill it. When we won a championship, we won this boat and everything. And so my whole life as I've wanted to fish, I finally got my big tournament boat. It was awesome, like one you'd see on TV. And I was fishing. I'm a, and everybody's always, hey, Mike, how's it fishing? How's it fishing? Where are you fishing? Where are you fishing, fishing, fishing? And then one day God confronted me. He says, hey, I need to talk to you about your reputation. Do you want to be known as a fisherman? Or do you want to be known as a pastor? I thought, well, I, a fisherman, yeah, yeah. Be a fisherman, <laughs> yeah. I said, man, I don't want to be known as a fisherman. He says, you know what, Michael, I gave you that boat as a blessing, and you turned it into a distraction. I gave you fishing as a gift for you to enjoy life, so that you could have a life outside of your ministry. I didn't give you the boat to make that your ministry. Is that your is that your reputation? You want to be, you want to be a fisherman? Do you want to be a striver? Do you want to be one that's in the corporate world climbing? What is it that you want? What do you want to be known for? I said, man, I, I, you know, I do a lot of counseling for married couples and a lot of counseling for single people, a lot of ch- counseling for church staffs and church leadership. I love it. I, abs- I can work eight days a week and it doesn't bother me a bit. I love what I do. I love who I am. I love, well, not eight, but, you know, 
pastors really only work about three hours on Sunday. You know that, right? I mean, David's out playing around all the time. You never see him. Yeah. But I think sometimes in our striving, because we haven't changed our perspective and our priorities and our motives, we're, we're, we're getting a reputation for something. But is that what you really want a reputation for? And this man challenges this guy. Jesus challenges this guy and says, man, make some changes. I want to use you. Another Jesus story, Matthew chapter 8. Jesus saw the crowd around him and he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. And then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, Jesus, one of the teachers of the religious law, one of the unlovers, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus and he has this incredible following. Look, Jesus started telling and everybody's coming to Jesus. I want to be a part of that too. I want to be one of the popular people. So I want to go with Jesus. I'm going to follow you anywhere, Jesus. And he says, you know what, sir? Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to go with me? Because I'm going to bust up your routine. You got a routine, you got, you're comfortable, you've got your things going on here, but I'm going to, you know, when, tonight, I don't even know if I'm going to have a place to sleep. I don't know if I'm going to have a home. You, you know, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm going to invite you to a constant change. Now, look, I know some of you, so the next point here is to be wary of routine. Now, routine, I'm not talking about, you know, you get up and you have your coffee and you make your bed and you read your paper and you go to work. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a routine that's so tight that you can't see when God is moving you into another season of life. Like, you're, this is your, what your life looks like? I don't want any change. And God's saying, no, but I want to do something new, so I, I need to prune you just a little bit. I need to change your season just a little bit. You're still going to be you, but I'm going to move you to another season. When we get caught up like that, it's not good. Well, routine, I'm talking about when we get so caught up in a routine that we miss a potential new season that God is bringing us to. How many of you, man, I love change. I can change anything. I'll change, I'll change move houses. I'll move jobs. I move. And I, nobody? Okay. If you like change, you can raise your hand. There's three people, four people. Five, okay. Okay. How many of you are like, no, I don't like change. I don't. Same house, same job, same. How many of you sit in the same seat every service, every time you come to church? Okay. Those are the people that don't like change right there. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God is going, man, I need to bring you to a new place. And you're going to enter into a season where I can really do some incredible transformation on you so that when you come out of that season, you're going to be even more fruitful than you were before. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when you bring your, brush your teeth or when you have your coffee. Although it's important. So Matthew, um, look at G, another Jesus story, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says to them, it's another parable. It's another story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a tiny little seed that a man plants in the field. And though it's the smallest of all the seeds, it grows as it changes, as it transforms. It becomes one of the largest garden plants of all. And the birds hang out in it and they're making their nest and they're, they're having a party. That's the kind of transformation that God wants to do in you with these seasons. He wants to expand your relationships. He wants to expand your influence. He wants you to, ex to expand your capacity to love people that are difficult to love. He wants to expand your relate, deepen your relationship with your kids. The, a couple of points here. First, 
change, this type of change we're talking about, like this mustard seed, change leads to transformation. That tree started as a seed, and now it's a tree. And then change should be expected when you're following Jesus. It's very difficult to change when you're the one trying to lead Jesus. It's illustrated in Isaiah chapter 42. Now, Isaiah is a prophet, meaning God would use people and God would literally speak through people. He would, he would, Isaiah was God's mouthpiece and he said this, I'm about to do something new. God says, I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. I already started doing it. But, but God, I'm in my routine. I'm in my routine. I can't see what you're doing. I got a routine here. He says, I've already started something new. Don't you see it? Some translations say, don't you perceive that I'm doing something new? And we're like, no, I got my routine. I'm do- I, got- I know where I'm going. I'm doing something new. I've already begun. Don't you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness and I will create rivers in the wasteland. A couple of points here. One, God may be doing things that we don't even recognize. It's so hard. We get caught up on what God is not doing. And some, we, I, God, I want to do, I want, I want, I, we miss. We get caught up on what God is not doing. And sometimes we, folk, we get caught up on what he's not doing. So we miss what he is doing. The second thing is change is required for us to experience the fullness of life that Jesus promised us. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. What does that mean? A bass boat? I mean, you're going to have, you know, five kids. Does that mean you're going to? No, he says, man, abundant, the fullness of life. I've learned this fullness of life is this faith adventure that just never gets old. It's like every day, it's like, man, just every, it's just stuff happens all the time and you just feel God is using you and things are happening and people are constantly being blessed by you. It's just amazing. The fruit of the spirit, it says, the Bible says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when you feel that, man, that's a rush. That's a ride. We're never going to really fulfill, uh, uh, experience that, that fully until we allow God to transform us. There are different seasons, right? We're in different seasons. The Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, we're told that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. He was one of the wealthiest. Because he asked for wisdom and not wealth, God said, I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you wealth. So this is what Solomon says about seasons. There's a time for everything, a season under every activity, A time to be born, time to die, time to plant, time to uproot, time to kill, time to heal, time to tear down, time to build, time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance. And he goes on. But I think in our English English language, we hear there's a time to plant and there's a time to uproot. So there's a time to plant something, put some dirt over there, got got it. There's a time to uproot. I'm going to tear the plant out now. But you know what? Just maybe... Just maybe God's word is richer than that. Just maybe God is saying, there's a time to plant. There's a time to plant some new relationships. There's a time to, you know what? Do you know how many, I was thinking about this earlier. I was watching. There's so many volunteers here. You've got people right now. There's tons of people in the kids' room. There's security and there's ushers and there's Bill and Stacy back there doing tech and lighting and all. And then there's Pablo here in the band. There's so many great volunteers here. Let's give, let's give it up for them, right? 
maybe, maybe a time for you to be, get a little bit more planted in this church means, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to volunteer. I, w- I want to make some other relationships. I'm going to plant myself here. I'm going to make a difference in this community of faith, of this community of believers. Maybe you can just volunteer for one weekend a month or something and just do something. I'm telling you, their volunteering isn't about what you do. It's about the relationships you create when you're volunteering. Things get deeper when you'll step in. Maybe that's what planting means for you. Maybe uprooting is, man, there's some relationships that I'm sowing and I'm involved. I need to uproot some of those relationships. They're just not healthy. Those relationships are not sowing good stuff into me and I'm not sowing good stuff into others. I'm not saying end them. Maybe they just need to be uprooted and redesigned a little bit. You can look at each of these things. There's a time to heal emotionally, relationally, spiritually, maybe financially. Maybe financially it's time to pay off some debt and put them things away. What does that look like? It's not just what we think. It's not just plant the seed, cover it up, uproot. There's more. You read through each of those. I've underlined them. You think about that season that you're in right now because I'm telling you, if you'll learn to embrace that season, you'll learn that God is literally using you in that season to transform you so that you can be more fruitful on the other side. Maybe he's asking you to tear some things down. Maybe he's asking you to build some things up. A time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. You know what dancing means in Hebrew? It's celebrating. Remember King David danced naked in the streets? <laughs> it wasn't because he was weird. It's because he was joyful. He was like, man, that's what, that's, that's, that's what that means. He was celebrating. Maybe there's a time to celebrate something. We don't celebrate it enough in this culture. Not appropriately, anyway. <laughs> there's a time to search. There's a time to give up. There's a time to keep. Maybe, God, all those seasons are listed right there. I encourage you to go, God, what season am I in? I'm going to lean into that and let God use that season of change and transformation to lead you to growth. And you know what's really cool? No matter what season you're in, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Isn't that true? Isn't that amazing? If God is... So a few years ago, I just said, God, I'm, not, I'm done. I'm done striving. I am done striving. And I have... I have I've had the best six years since I decided I'm going to stop striving. I'm not going to try to lead Jesus around anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's been fantastic. God is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And you know what it says just before that? It says that God works all things, everything together for the good of those who love him. So God is for you. No one can be against you. God is literally working every little thing in your life together for your good. And you know what it says before that? It says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We're in that season. God, it's hot. I'm frying out here. They, uh, you know, I just, we're just struggling. And God says, you know what? But even then, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't even know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit who abides in us literally prays for us. I'm at my wit's end. God, I'm in this terrible, I don't even know. And the Spirit said, it says, prays for us, in us, for us. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is working everything together for your good, what's the problem? If the Spirit is literally praying in you, for you, what do we got to worry about? Why are we stressed? 
Why should we be frustrated or worried at all? And then last, it says this. Paul writes this and he says, I consider our present sufferings insignificant compared to the glory that will soon be revealed. And that glory is this, that all creation, every animal, every plant, every bug is eagerly awaiting for God to reveal who we are. Everything on the planet, all of creation is eagerly awaiting for God to reveal that you and I are in Christ. And all of creation is going to look at us and go, wow, that's amazing. Look what God did. Are you understand that? You're eternal. You're, God spoke you into existence. He's not wasting his time on you. He's literally interested, just passionately trying to transform you that you would reveal his glory to all of creation. Do you feel seen? Do you feel seen? Because until we embrace that, we, we, we kind of hide. We kind of hide because we're, we're still striving. We're still trying to lead Jesus around. We're still doing, he, he, God says, no, just, 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 just follow me. I'm going to give, I'm going to, through you, he's going to, he's going to glorify himself through you. He's going to reveal through you. uh, He's going to reveal who he is to others through you. And then last, you know what the most popular verse in all of history is in the United States, history of the United States. You know what it is? The most popular verse. Take a guess. John 3.16. Everybody guesses that service and it's close, but not quite. What else? Psalm 20. Oh, Psalm 23. That's another good one. Probably most used, but at a funeral. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know what it is? It's actually the most Googled verse in all of United States history. And that is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen, right? That's inspiring, isn't it? It's encouraging. It's the most Googled verse in all of United States history and as far as verses go. But do you know what the context of that verse is? Do you know where the people were? They weren't in the Bay Area. They were in Fresno. They were people who lived in Israel in the promised land who had been taken out of the promised land and sent thousands of miles away into Babylon. They lost their homes. They lost their neighborhoods. They lost, they, the families were divided. They lost their county. They, lost, they were moved out of the state. They moved out of the country. They were taken as slaves into another country. That's the context of this verse. God says, I know you're in a really dark season right now. You're not where you're supposed to be. I know you weren't, you weren't thinking you'd be divorced now and remarried, but you are. You weren't thinking you'd be divorced twice and be single right now and have kids, but you are. You weren't expecting to be widowed. You weren't expecting to lose a child. You weren't expecting to lose that job or that home or whatever. You weren't expecting any of this stuff, but I know where you are. And I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. I still got this, God said. I got this. Every season of your life, 
It says man makes his plans, but Lord determines his steps. Do you know that? So God says, while you're in this season, while you are in exile, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you, God says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. And when you get back, you're going to be more fruitful than you were before because I will have transformed you in that season, uh, that dark season. I will gather you from the nations and places that I have banished you. I will bring you back from the place that I carried you. Interesting that he carried them into exile. God did it for a reason. And then it gets better. While you're there, while you're there, I'm over by a minute and 40 seconds and I'm almost done. This is the first time I'm over, but oh, right. This is what the, while you're there, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that you may have sons and daughters too. Increase in number, do not decrease. While you're there in that dark season, thrive. And then he says, also seek peace and prosperity where you are in the city that I banished you. And then... Pray to the Lord for that city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In other words, God is saying, no matter what season you are, embrace that season, thrive in that season so that I can transform you and I can bear much fruit through you, giving God the glory for it all. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Yeah, Holy Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you that you spoke and you formed the heavens and the earth, and you spoke, and you created each of us just as we are. And we ask you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Spirit, that we would trust your leadership into any and every season, Father, and that we might have the courage and the faith and the joy and the blessing of giving you much fruit. Would you help us all to trust you no matter what the season to love you and to love others more deeply than other and more deeply than ever. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you're doing in and through Bay Hills. And we pray that you would be get glory for every service, for every event, for everything this church does, that you might shine in this region through this church, through this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.